Hello, everyone, again, and welcome to another edition of the From the Clubhouse podcast. You might notice that it's not the dulcet tones of Tom Irwin introducing us this week. This is because we've pinched him off because we found somebody better. Um, and a special podcast deserves a special guest, and we have one. Um, anyone who has watched any American golf, read any American golf publications, will know the name of Jeff Shackelford. There's not many publications, Jeff, you haven't written for, is there, down the years? No, it's kind of the state of our business, and uh, uh, either as a as a, a struggling freelancer or uh, now as a, a person hanging on in a strange, uh, uh, disjointed media world. Well, the quadrilateral, your um, your regular newsletter is re- required reading, and for those who uh, want to check out more about that, they should look at your website, jeffshackelford.com. But the reason we've got you on the from the Clubhouse podcast is because you have a new book. Um, and it's a very relevant book to our audience, which is club golfers and, and regular regular Joes, as, as it were, playing their golf on a weekly basis. And it's called Golf Architecture for Normal People. Great title. Well, thank you. Uh, the, the, the title was uh, something uh, I, I gave a lot of thought to because I did want to set a tone of um, a little bit of a whimsy and uh, to try and, you know, the juxtaposition of the word architecture with normal, I think, I think the word, uh, you know, the publisher wanted to know why I was so set on that word. And I think it's because the word is often thrown out in a sort of, um, well, not always, but quite often a sort of snooty way that, that turns people off. It sounds big and complicated. And, uh, as I've gotten older, I, and, and I've seen more courses and seen, uh, the role that the design of the course plays. I just, I just, uh, really wanted to make it more, uh, fun and inviting for people, especially at this time right now, where it seems like there's just a lot more interest in, in, uh, golf courses and, and how they were laid out and created. Yeah, we'll get into some of those aspects, um, as we go through our chat, but you, you do make the point early on in your book. And I think it's a very relevant one, um, that, interesting golf course architecture is spiraling among the average player. I consider myself to be an average player. And, you know, we are as a group, I think, much more interested in how our golf courses are put together, the strategic elements behind it and how they can help us play them. I mean, have you, have you know, you say it in the books, you've clearly noticed it yourself, this kind of um, interest in us all wanting to find out just a little bit more about this subject. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, I've been writing about it uh, really since I finished college, and my interest has always been, well, I, I was fascinated by this. Why aren't more people? And I'd say that I've been, I've had moments where I've done some some good work that helped it, uh, but I also am a little bit guilty in, in that, that group that has probably uh, turned people off and that, you know, we... we and I lay this out in the book. I'm a big believer in 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 that snobbery and and holding architects and developers to certain standards uh, because it, it's elevated the art of architecture. It's where we it's part of the reason we have this interest level that we've we've refined things and and uh, we've seen architects. Uh, zeroing in on the fun word, which is amazing that when, uh, you know, just even 20, 25 years ago, fun was not necessarily a positive uh, affirmation for a golf course, uh, which is nuts. When you think about it, we, we play the game to have fun. Uh, and I still think we have ways to go on that. I still think architects could make 
uh, courses that that allow the golfer to win a little bit more. But um, but in general, it's just an interesting combination of factors that that you know from drone photography to uh, major championship golf going to great courses, women's majors going to places, and people seeing how the course, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, <laughs> buzzword, elevates and improves the the viewing experience. You realize that that stage, that you do need a good stage, and that the certain stages allow the performers to put on a better show. And uh, so it's just exciting for me having seen, and other people, having seen kind of the, uh, well, well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this with club golfers, but a lot of club golfers, well, I don't know anything about architecture, and then they give you a lot of opinions. <laughs> and that can drive a, a superintendent or a pro or a manager or an architect nuts. Um, so it's exciting that more people are curious and want to learn more. And uh, that's where I've tried to go with this uh, this book and really all the writing i do i think we are as a group better traveled now as well I, if, if i go back maybe two or three decades to when i started first playing golf you you played your golf course your home golf course and that was it that was where the vast majority of your golf was and whether it's because things like the world handicap system have opened up possibilities for people to go and play competitive golf at other golf courses it is a fact i think that as a group we do get out there a bit more than perhaps we used to and that opening up of new avenues of new opportunities does make us question why is this course good and it's something that golfers um yeah another thing that always mystified me was people would spend and as you say they're doing it more than ever probably and and post-pandemic really doing it um why you go to all this trouble to go somewhere to play something different um but not be curious about the design because ultimately it makes your your trip better and even if your game isn't great you have more fun arguing or debating the merits of different courses and comparing them and there's an enjoyment factor and there's a there's been a cost factor that you would um compared to other pursuits you, you again it sort of mystified me that that um golfers didn't want to know just a little bit more to get more satisfaction out of seeing those different places yeah, you wrote um a while ago now i hope you don't mind me saying this but, but yeah no it has been a while but, but you wrote essentially what is what has been regarded as the quintessential um golf architecture primer which was obviously grounds for golf it was the first golf architecture book i ever read um, and I found it really invaluable in terms of describing the various schools of design, you know, penal, strategic, and so on, and, and really just what to look for in terms of how to evaluate a whole and so on. So given that you'd written really such a comprehensive book on the subject, at, at least for those of us who were just starting to show some interest, why then update it? Why come at it from an entirely new angle, I think, as you have with um, golf architecture for normal people? A lot has changed since I did the book, um, and and that really was what drove my thinking because I did have that question uh, from a from a publisher, and and uh, I questioned it myself, and I I just thought long and hard that at uh, I just had an urging to 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 kind of revisit the idea of what would make um, all of this more. Uh, inviting to somebody who just says, ah, you know, I just, I don't, I don't, it's okay. It's for other people. I, it's not my thing. Um, 
and knowing that we're more people do want to know a little bit more, just enough to be dangerous. Um, I felt like it was a great time for it. And that also with a little bit of age, I had a better sense that uh, it should not be taken quite as seriously. And, um, and then to tap into this, this uh, notion that we're, we're finally uh, embracing fun and what are the things that are doing that. And then it made me kind of go back into the original, uh, the early days of golf to try to understand what uh, lured people to this version of a, of a sport that was similar to other games or sports played in other places and why the Scots modified this thing that was somewhat similar to other sports. And I don't want to get in the middle of the, the argument of the origins, but the it's pretty obvious that the Scots took some things and made it their own and people were drawn to it and why. And then of course, going back in the old writings, you realize nobody really addressed that. It was always a, the historians have always been interested in uh, which Royal or which, which moment uh, gave the sport legitimacy. And I understand that, but I also thought, well, wait a second, they had to be, what was it that, that, that made this sport survive Whereas the other variants or, or uh, the sports that inspired it, why did they die? Um, and I just kind of kept coming back to, well, there's, there's something unique about the golf course and the, the, the thing that makes you want to come back and do it again and the difference every day and all those elements that do come back to, to the architecture. And um, they're really not any different today. And um and so it's exciting that people are are uh, wanting to know a little bit more about that. And so far, the response from the book's been really good in that way, uh, in, in terms of people who who said they just the topic was kind of uh, foreign to them, and and this gave them new things to look at or new reasons to get excited about going out and playing around. Yeah, I I really don't understand how anyone could argue that a Dutch spot called golf and a Scottish spot called golf were in some way related. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> there oh, yes, are. there are people who do argue that. Yeah. But there we are. But I, I, I don't know why it's a big deal either. It really uh, isn't because that one's dead and golf survived. So something the Scots did. Uh, uh, made it better and made it work. So own it. It's great. I think you identified that quite succinctly where you talk about the different courses and the arenas in which we play. And that, that does seem to me to be the fundamental difference between a spot such as golf, for example, which was played in a set arena around ice and a spot called golf, which can essentially be played anywhere where you can lay down holes as, as it probably was in, in its most distant past. And it's the arenas themselves, aren't they, that, is the the thing that makes us continually engage with it? And there, I mean, I yeah, I view a lot of them as works of art, and and I I've always used this analogy, and I still love it. But it, it what other work of art can you can you stand back, look at, uh, debate, um, uh, study, and then actually step into the into the the work? and experience it for yourself uh you know there was a there was a great woody allen movie years ago the purple rose of cairo where 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 the woman's watching in the theater and then she you know gets to step into the film and it's a it's really an unusual uh thing because we can't normally do that with a with a monet or or a, a anything you really when you think about it um 
and we have the tools now to to make all this more immersive. But in golf, we've always had that immersive element, and we've always had the element of, of the the fun of debating and uh, comparing courses. And and um, at times in the game, that's been really good. Uh, like right now, I feel like there's a competitiveness that is positive, but there have been times where there has been a competitiveness that has led courses to make bad changes, you know, whatever the, the trend of the day is or pursuing difficulty or trying to keep up with the, the equipment in a way and, and using the design to, to, uh, to do that in a less than, in, in a way that doesn't really think about the day-to-day fun element. Yeah, there's a, there's a very good quote in early on in the book where you say, increasingly when evaluating what really matters, vanity and excess are starting to finish behind engagement and gratification. And I, th- I think that's a really, really good way of describing it. I grew up, my early goal was the 1990s, the early 2000s, and the dreaded inverted commas championship golf course. I've played a lot of golf courses that punished me quite strongly, both in terms of length and in terms of the hazards and the obstacles that the golf course provided. You'll be happy to know that I'm on various top 100 course panels, and I tend to evaluate a golf course primarily on whether I enjoyed it or not and whether it was fun. Um, Do you you think that you talk about this quite a lot in the early part of the book, but do you, do you think that as golfers, we're doing that as well? We're, we're looking to be entertained in playing golf rather than beaten up and tested. I definitely think there was a kind of machismo about club golfers perhaps a couple of decades ago where if they didn't go and play off the tips, if they didn't lose a few balls and if they didn't come off sort of almost in tears they felt that they hadn't played golf but i I really think there's a sea change now and your book describes that quite very well yeah i that that is another reason i did it i i see that happening and it's the most exciting thing uh i think in the game right now and I, i you know there are many ways uh that it's it's come about uh some of it's just a generational change uh, there are younger people who've come to the sport and they're not aware of some of that, um, some of those, those, those elements that, uh, that led to championship golf and, and the obsession with rating and slope. And, uh, and that's still out there and it's still problematic in a lot of ways. Uh, and it'll probably never, uh, disappear from, from the sport and that's okay. But, uh, m- more importantly, there are just people demanding of a place uh, an element that of comfort, of enjoyment, of day-to-day uh, fun, but it doesn't need to uh, break my back. It, it, it just needs to be stimulating enough and can be maintained on a sustainable basis and things like that, where uh, there is a, a, a more modest view, I think, from a lot of people. It's... Um, so it's we need to keep building on that, and I, I think one of the more exciting elements of the the sport are all these different ways that people now call themselves a, a golfer, and it's become less of this. Uh, do you play eighteen holes and have a handicap? But there are just people who play it different ways and see it different ways, and and uh, I think that's both fantastic, just knowing people's schedules and and family time and all that. Uh, but it also makes it more approachable that the, the sport is more attractive to somebody who's curious uh, and it's not as intimidating, I, I hope, uh, 
knowing that there are all these other ways into the game, par three courses or starting on a Himalayas putting green or going to top golf, uh, or something like the new facility, the RNAs just opened in Glasgow, uh, whatever it is, there are these little things kind of chipping away at that, that, uh, that, that championship, uh, notion. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's what is ideal to me for for the health of the sport and the fun factor. Funnily enough, you talk about golf it because I was there. Um, I've just I've just come back from. Oh, good. How was it? It was it was an incredible place, actually. Um, I, I really uh, golf it. It's in the title, isn't it? So it implies that golf is is at the center of the operation, but it's done in a very subtle way. I think um, there are very many other things there to do, but the golf course itself. So it was an old 18 hole municipal that's been, um, that Scott McPherson has redesigned into a nine hole course. Um, and there are, I think there are seven bunkers in total on the entire site. Uh, there are, there are some water hazards, but the approaches are sculpted, at least to my mind, in such a way that they go towards the green. So if you hit it in a certain direction, it will go towards the green. It will not kick away from the green. They had tees ranging from 2,400 yards for a par 33 to 50-yard mm-hmm. holes with AstroTurf stars that kids can get can get cracking on. And I thought from a design point of view, it was a very interesting course because it wasn't trying to be it wasn't trying to win awards. It wasn't trying to get in yeah. top 100s. It was just providing an interesting test for a golfer. There, that a, a good golfer would find things to challenge them there. There were there's a 517 yard par five. I mean, this is not an academy course. There are four par threes, but those par threes range from off the back tees from 120 yards to 200 yards at the back. So there mm-hmm. there, there is variety and there is options within it. And I looked at it and I thought this is probably where we should be going with golf. There is something to test a better player, but there's also nothing stopping a beginner getting out on that course straight away and having a really good time. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the love of par three courses here has really reminded people that the sport would be a lot better off if we had had more of those uh, a while ago, again, for beginners to feel comfortable, but they're also quite handy for older golfers who don't want to do the full thing, the full 18 holes and uh, good players who, who need some help with their short game and can go out and have some fun. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's exciting to see these examples being set, whether it's there or even Pebble Beach and Pinehurst adding a par three course, whatever it is, all these little things are adding up to um yeah, we're never gonna we're never gonna break the eighteen hole thing, which is which is a shame. But um, it's still a struggle to convince somebody that that a twelve hole course, uh, twelve great or really good holes would be still better for them than an eighteen hole um, course with with a bunch of clunkers. Because you know, there's a bank that's looking at it and going, well, why would we finance something that's not normal? And but we are we are chipping away at some of that and. Um, I think it's just, it's just, uh, it's going to really help the sport because, uh, I, I, I think, uh, an 18 hole round is still, you need to have a lot of free time to, to do that. And you need to have a, a pretty good game and to, to stick with it. And all these other forms of uh, golf are just, um, I think they're they're just uh, really going to serve the sport well. It's so arbitrary, though, isn't it? Eighteen holes. I mean, you make the point in your book, um, yeah. and and anyone who's a student of the game knows about that. Knows that 
how, how the 18 holes basically came from 22 at St Andrews. I mean, even the size of the hole itself is arbitrary. Just someone had a yeah. just someone had a cutter that happened to be that size. Um, but it's inter- I've come up against this a few times with people where I've argued for less than 18 holes and been how can I put this on social media? Uh, roundly heckled, uh, but for my yeah. views. But you, but you make the point in the book about Leith, which was five holes. Prestwick, twelve holes. It's eighteen is a figure that has only been set out of circumstance, not out of any design. Yeah, I think uh, I guess the good news is that 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 the nine hole round. I'd say again, since I did grounds for golf in uh, two thousand three, so in twenty years, it. it it does feel like the nine hole round now has a legitimacy again, you know, the RNA has a nine hole, uh, championship. Um, the USGA has done some initiatives. The handicapping system is more adaptable to however many holes you play. And it's just, it's closer to that sweet spot. I think 12 holes is a sweet spot time wise now, uh, when you think about it, but, um, I consider it a victory that that it's that people are very comfortable playing nine holes and feeling like they're a golfer. You know, all, all those things that we used to have that would turn people off. That well, I'm I'm not I'm just a part time or whatever. Oh, no, you're a golfer. If you if you love the game and you get out or you just like to practice, some people just like to practice. You know that that's fine. And the sport is thankfully. Um, getting there, but yeah, it would be nice if, if some more places, uh, or, or a significant championship was played at something other than 18 holes, but, but it's, it's a struggle to convince the people with uh, money to, to go to that next level. Exactly. Exactly. Well, here's hoping there's still time, isn't there? Um, let's get into the meat of the book. Um, it's, it's up to you how much you divulge Jeff. I, I, I'm sure you prefer people to buy it. So I'll leave it up to you, but it, but it is fair to say that the book is essentially built around, um, as you put it against your better judgment, a system. Um, and, yeah. and there are, and there are three parts to that. And actually I find myself nodding my head a lot as I, as I read through these, which is, is obviously a good sign, but, um, they're breathtakingly simple concepts actually, but I just think that people don't, often think about them and let's take each of them in turn but just just for the listener i'll sort of outline what they are so you have you you have the acronym red r-e-d um and the three concepts that, that you introduce in the book and talk about really extensively is can you remember every hole is it a course you could play every day is this a place you could take your dog for a walk? We'll get onto that one because that one's that's brilliant. Though. That's very that's very much fun. And you you acknowledge yourself that some people like dogs, some people don't. But um, can you remember every hole to start with? I mean, that's a very, very simple way of thinking about how a golf course has impacted you and the experience that you've had there. It is, and it was so simple that uh, for a, a lot of the time that I uh, read about course design and as, as a as – a, aspiring, uh, student of the topic, uh, it was brushed off as simplistic or shallow even. And I, and I can see that in a sense that, that people would take that idea and go, well, well, anybody can build a course that so you remember all the holes. They just, you know, you have a, uh, well dreaded the dreaded phrase, but 18 signature holes, but you do something outlandish on each hole. Well, actually, uh, that turns out that that really isn't very memorable either. They start to bleed together if every hole has water and uh, some some uh, outlandish features. It's it's if it's not uh, uh, routed and sequenced in a way that's clever. If if the architect isn't 
creative well then it is all a blur even when they're trying to to do all that and and no offense to the late mike strands but he was somebody who kind of came along and a little bit inspired by pete Dye and some other people and and, and and did that with some of his courses and the ones where he 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 wasn't quite as outlandish on every hole actually stand out better and the and the and the you can it's not quite as overwhelming to the senses so the the idea of memorability to me is um especially as you get a little bit older it, it really stands out when you can go through a course and then as i explain in in the chapter it the things that that speaks to in terms of just pure wonkery and architectural uh, geekery, uh, you know, the, the, the way the course is routed and, and other factors, it, it starts to get into some very specific areas. It tells you whether the architect did a good job or not. Um, and you can't always know, you don't know what they were up against, but uh, the ones that, that, that take the time and do a good job, I think it does speak to, um, uh, their abilities. And, and then as you play a course, uh, more than once and you play it a lot, um, it, you start to zero in on memorable features that are the ones that I think are, they're, they're interesting, but they're not overwhelming. They're subtle, uh, but they impact your, the way you play a shot into the green or how you play the hole. And so I think as time goes on, you appreciate that kind of memorability that, that those little nuances that separate each hole and, and, uh, and there's just nothing more enjoyable when you're standing in the fairway and you go, Oh yeah, today where the pin is, there's that great little slope in the back. I can throw it there and, and, and it'll come down. And, and I remember that at feature and it's there for me. And, uh, but it doesn't always matter, but today with today's hole, it does. And, um, that to me is where architecture is at its best is when you, it, it gets more subtle like that. Unfortunately, that doesn't sell magazines and photograph well and all the things that used to be so important to somebody building a newer course um, uh, or somebody trying to prescribe to the idea that hard is good. Um, and so uh, anyway, that's a long winded way to get into to, to remembering every hole, but uh, I think it's a great little test when you're, especially if you've just played a course for the first time, uh, as you're driving home to try to go through the holes and they start getting to be a blur. That's, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, I actually put myself to the test with this last night. Ah. Um, so I actually did this and I could, uh, so my favorite golf course on the planet is Swinley forest. Um, I, ah. I just, I just adore it. Yeah. Um, and the, but the last time I played that golf course was five years ago. Uh, and I and I found that I could remember every shot of a, of a golf course I'd played five years ago, uh, and then I tried to do it with a golf course I'd played three weeks ago, and I found that I couldn't, I just couldn't do it in the yeah. same way. And then I thought, well, perhaps this is why I rate Swindley Forest so highly, and perhaps not yeah. rate this course, this other course as highly as I might have done because it it spoke to me. Um, and it wasn't just about the way that I played. It was about, obviously, the, the, the holes themselves. I think anyone who's been to Swinley, as you go into the car park and you look left and you see the vista of the 1st and the 18th and then that amazing clubhouse, it is, it is incredible. But you, you talked about earlier about there being 
there being some criticism for this idea of remembering every hole as, as, a, as a concept of whether a golf course is worthy of, of praise or not. But I actually think you're really onto something there. I think if you, if you can't remember it, if, if the experience of playing golf blurs into the memory, then perhaps the golf course wasn't everything that you thought it was. I, I feel that way. And, and I know that, uh, yeah, the, the architect I love the most, George Thomas mentioned it, um, and, and in his writings. And that's, that's where I first really was inspired by the idea that, um, and I guess playing his courses and, and his way of creating memorability, memorability was, um, sometimes outlandish, you know, he put a bunker in the middle of a green at one course and he built some, some, interesting weird mounds every once in a while but when you when you kind of do the big picture view of his courses um the memorability came from sort of the 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 variety the change in in uh, pace and the change of directions of holes and and more subtle features even though you know there were the big ticket items that people always seize on ultimately the work that he did stood out because uh, the memorability moments were were just more nuanced, and uh, and I think we know that with a, with a lot of those great courses, of, uh, like a Swinley Forest, and and there are there are plenty of them. Unfortunately, as I said, you know, we got to a point in course design where where uh, there was a sort of a reward or an incentive to to take the idea of of. Uh, of memorability and, and, and put it on steroids and, and uh, make it look great for a magazine photo and things like that. I've played plenty of those golf courses as well. Uh, your second concept, I think, really leads on from the first as well, which is, is it a course you could play every day and never tire of? And I think that's that's a very interesting question for club golfers in particular who have that actually they 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 have that question every day because a lot of the time they will play a specific course the course that they are a member of um and it's it, it's something i think that gets lost in the debate you know if you i've left i've left membership of golf courses because i got bored with them so I clearly mm-hmm. clearly i clearly i did tire of it so um the two concepts go really hand in hand i think but but just explain if you could um the method of your thinking behind is it a course that you could play every day? Yeah, well, so many, there are plenty of courses that are very memorable from beginning to end. Um, and so that was why I segued to this, this topic uh, for the second point, because, uh, you know, there are plenty that I can take you through all the holes, but I, I don't need to play it again. I don't need to, I don't need to do it all over again. It was, it would be too much. And so this was a way to, speak to, um, variety, fun, um, uh, just a lot of different design factors, the strategy, is there any strategy at all to some of the holes? Uh, you know, not every hole can be a strategic masterpiece. Like it pains me to say that I really used to uh, be a, a bit of an idealist and, and think that, uh, architects were getting pretty lazy, but sometimes, you know, it's like a, collection of songs or it's like a, a symphony or a, a good film sometimes you're going to need some holes that are that are lulls or or quieter moments in the round surrounding the to make the bigger moments even bigger um 
so that that was a change for me in terms of the and i think it's just more back to the fun factor that when you do try to make every hole this this uh, uh amazing thing that that you can wear people out and make them not want to play the place again and so it's it's sort of trying to highlight uh the fun factor the um the nuance element and and hopefully that that the architect at least made um an effort to 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 make sure that this course is is um it's just playable um we have we have a lot of places that just they they aren't uh as playable as they should be and they fight the golfer too much and uh let 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 the golfer win and and i think that's the great courses over time and the ones we worship and the architects we worship did that really well they they made sure the ground uh, yeah they certainly made things difficult and challenging and interesting but they also uh if you pulled off a shot they worked really hard to 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 reward you and some of that's a product of the time they took they they didn't have the equipment uh to move anything in some cases or in other cases it was just the beginning of earth moving equipment and they mostly did that to make the golf functional uh and we had a shift where a lot of architects use that to make things more difficult and to make them and to push golf into places where it shouldn't have been um and uh so i think that's where the everyday question ultimately comes back to is um you know, is this going to endure and, and be fun? Uh, or is this just a one-off, a one-hit wonder kind of thing? Yeah, and I think it's just important for people who are listening to be clear on, you are not suggesting that fun doesn't come without challenge. Um, you, you talk in the book right. you talk in the book about Sawgrass in particular, which is a, I mean, I've played that golf course. That is a difficult golf course for, for the average yeah. player, but it is memorable as, at the same time for, for reasons Very. more, for, for reasons more obvious than just the 17th actually. Um, but it's also a golf course, despite Pete Dye's um, desire to basically make the best in the world sort of scream in misery. Um, it does all, it does also give you wins as well. And I, and I think that there is sometimes a suggestion that fun equals easy. And that, and that's not what you're saying at all in the book. Yeah, no, I, I've mentioned this story to a few people, but uh, if you've heard it, I, I apologize. But the, the course I did here in Southern California with Gil Hance, Rustic Canyon, when it opened 20 years ago, the, the, the people would say, well, it, it's fun. It's a fun course. And that was kind of meant as a little bit of a dig that it, you know, it can't host the Southern California amateur, but it can, uh, but it's enjoyable while it, you know, there were about two or three courses right near it. Um, uh, one of them has been converted to an executive course. The other one's closed uh, and they were very difficult courses built on the side of mountains and it's built in this Canyon and it's, it's very walkable on sandy soil and the ball releases and runs and there's uh, a lot of opportunity for fun, but it's also could be really tricky uh, depending on the wind and, and the hole locations. And, and that's that sweet spot you want to find. And now people, of course, I get the, Oh, I love rustic. It's so fun. You know, they say it in such a different way. I wish I had recordings of the old condescending way people would say it. And, and you're right. You know, you don't, we don't want to play on a polo field, uh, but we also don't want to get beaten up to the point where it's no fun to come back. And, um, and, and Pete Dye was somebody who, who it's funny because he's, he, 
I think he's really as much as anybody responsible for the the uh, appreciation of fun. Although he didn't, you know, he had kind of a, a Midwest stick it to him, hard work kind of thing going, and um, and it, it was great. It's fun again for one-off things, but on an everyday basis, the courses of his that people love the most are the ones that were probably in the early part of his career when he was a little more subtle at times and, and not every hall was hitting you over the head with crazy stuff. Uh, so it's ironic that he was the one that, that, that was one of the people who built these crazy hard courses. And, uh, and by the way, I think you're right on Sawgrass. Although I think a lot of the stuff where he, he lets you win is a product more of tour players bitching and moaning and, and getting them to make some changes. Um, but it does do that. There are contours there that you, know, you can feed a ball down to a hole. I'm not sure when it opened. There was a, a lot of that, at least from, from what the players say. Yeah, I birdied the first. That's about as good as it got. Um, but the, the first does let you win, I think, if you get it in, if you get it towards the fairway. Yes, on purpose. Yeah, yes. Exactly, exactly. Um, your third point, um, is this a place you could take your dog for a walk? I really love this one um, because nothing seems to divide golfers more than dogs on golf courses there will be people who say they are absolutely integral um to the uh, enjoyment of a course the idea that you can go take your canine your furry friend with you and enjoy three or four hours and yet i've seen twitter debates about this where other people will say well why are you bringing your golf your dog to the golf course keep it off so i, I really found it interesting that you chose this as as your kind of third um criterion and of course you've got um a wider purpose at aim. It's not simple. I mean, I'm, I'm jesting a little bit. It's not simply, can you take the dog for a walk? You, you're, 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 you're yeah, talking yeah. about scale, right? Yeah. The, the, the first two categories touched on a, a bunch of different uh, elements of course design, but they never really addressed um, uh, the dreaded scale word, which has been kind of hijacked um, by, by the corporate um, world in Silicon Valley. But um, and all, even the sort of the sense of naturalness and, and walkability, um, again, those first two categories didn't address that. And, and, uh, and I had used those two as a sort of my first two questions for a long time. And then after the 2017 U.S. Open at Aaron Hills, uh, which where, where it's, you know, two and a half miles across the property and it, it just it's a it's a big, big property. It's just huge. Uh, I went to this, one of my favorite courses on the planet the day after sort of just on the way to the airport and they had a new superintendent and, uh, called Shore Acres in Chicago, very private club. Uh, but just an amazing Seth Rayner course. And I just walked around with the superintendent and his dog and I was watching how much enjoyment his dog was getting out of the property. And, and I was getting this sort of cleansing, like, ah, oh, this is what, this is what a, a golf course should be like, uh. Uh, this is just so much more uh, what what I needed to see to be sort of reacclimated and uh, watching that um, kind of started that idea of of that just simple question if you had a dog uh, where would you like to take him for a walk and and you know there are places that combine that those elements of the a certain kind of scale and and the way the holes I use a word in the book that I got from a, a an author of a, a book on dogs. Uh, a word called pathiness that she used. And, and um, I think we all, you hear people say you know, they love, of course, it sort of meanders and you just feel 
like it's set into the landscape nicely instead of sort of forced onto the landscape. And um, there's something enjoyable about that kind of walk. And you, you certainly can picture it through the eyes of a dog that they would much rather walk through some beautiful little dirt trails and that kind of bend and curve and go up and down and uh, through a lovely landscape versus down a concrete sidewalk uh, with, with not a whole lot of uh, variety. And, and, uh, and, and, and there's an underfoot element I get into uh, a little bit of a topic of mine. That's been an obsession drainage that I try to make a little less uh, or a little less unappealing and, and, and explain to people why it is important both for the, for the function of a golf course, but also uh, it really gets into how, how it's handled speaks to how we feel about a course, either feeling natural or feeling forced. Um, and I did not go down the rat hole in the book, uh, too far of, of the debate versus naturalness and artificiality. They used to have some amazing knockdown drag out arguments McKenzie and kind of max bear over the old course and different things like that but but there's no doubt that that we respond to natural or seemingly natural courses uh, more than artificial ones i think that's just every golfer uh and for a variety of reasons that i i do get tap into some of those in the book and the dog component to me is uh is a way to to try to get to that to that question in a, in a, just in a different way. And for cat people, I apologize. Some, I, you know, it's just going to be a tough chapter for them, but hopefully they can visualize, uh, and, and accept the way, uh, dogs think and work and, uh, and think like that a little bit. Yeah. I, I think going back to your wider point there, there is a reason why golden age courses in particular endure so much. It's because they weren't necessarily, forced with bulldozers because they just didn't have them they just they just couldn't use them um i i'm gonna let readers and listeners buy your book and get into uh the concepts um as a whole because you do introduce them very early on and, and we've gone through that but then you explain them in in a lot of detail throughout the rest of the book and um it'd be a, a little unfair i think for, to um ask you to spill all your secrets when um when 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 you when you need royalties and you need you need um you need an income so i'd like to move well, on and, and and just ask you about uh, the overall concept of the book itself because i i felt reading it that you were you were trying to do two things really the first was obviously to open up what has been um a tricky subject to get into to a much wider audience and, and demystify it and uh, take it away from, we won't name them, but you know, certain forums that, that view, view outsiders. If I use that in inverted commas, thinking about yeah. golf no, course that's that's in, in, in a certain way. And I, and I felt that you did that really successfully. The second point though, was I wondered whether by extending architecture to regular golfers like myself and widening and asking golfers and club golfers to think about these sort of concepts, you were also perhaps looking ahead to a continued change in the way that we view golf course architecture, because the more people that get interested in the, in, in the subject, the more ideas and then the more variety we get. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely is a, a small group at times that can influence the thinking and, um, uh, and, and at times that's, I think lately been a positive, uh, but it, it, at other 
points in the game, it's been extremely uh, negative. So I am hoping to build on that um, and and generate a little more discussion around those. What are those enduring traits of a course uh, in hopes that, that more people build that way? And I think that... Um, I think we're in a, in a great place for that. There's not going to be a lot of new c- construction. Um, but as you know, there are many courses that are uh, sort of rethinking what they have. They're always doing that, um, which isn't always a great thing <laughs> at times. But uh, hopefully that uh, this adds to the discussion that when people are having that, that conversation, that, that it gets them back to the things that, that got the game going in the first place and what are, you know, what are those things that make you want to come back every day? Uh, I should say one other thing I forgot to mention that, that is different. The other reason that I wanted to do the book since grounds for golf, when I did that, you know, the publisher really wanted uh, me to, to get into how you break down a course for the betterment of your game. And it was really, it was a struggle. Uh, And it's just incredible in 20 years time uh, I think, well, at least from my perspective, what uh, things you can now find out about a course or uh, read into a course uh, using technology to to actually improve your game and to to try and outsmart the architect. And that really wasn't the case. But now with tools like uh, Google Earth and and uh, also just just kind of the change in uh the importance of the greenkeeper at a golf course uh, and the questions you can ask them and learn from them. Uh, I get into some of that in the book. That was a fun part for me. The publisher this time around pushed for that. And I said, well, yeah, there's more you can say now that I couldn't say 20 years ago. And then as I was working on the chapter, I really enjoyed that part of thinking about all the, you know, the questions you can ask. And, and it just reminded me of sort of the change of, of where the, the greenkeeper is in the world of golf even in the last 20 years has changed. Uh, they're often the most important person now at the facility. And uh, yeah, they used to be very sensitive to the whole Carl Spackler uh, imagery. Uh, and I don't feel like that. I feel like that's dying now. That's finally gone away. And uh, so anyway, that's another part of the book that I really enjoyed. And also just my time covering the pro game. It's been fun for me to watch and ask players, uh, you know, hearing their comments about how they research a course or how they, how they view it, uh, what went into that. And it's just totally different than it was in the late nineties and early two thousands. So anyway, I, I have some of that in the book and you, you know, I, I hope that part's enjoyable too. Um, some, there's some people who might find it, uh, pedantic or whatever. I, I think it's kind of, I think it's, I think it's fun and interesting, um, and there's a danger too. You can overthink it. You can over research and overanalyze. So I, I touch on that a little bit too. Yeah. I, I think you're definitely onto something with, um, the, uh, increased appreciation of greenkeepers. I mean, not just through things like thank a greenkeeper day, but you know, if you want, you, we know now as club golfers, we, we know we can find the ignorant person in the clubhouse because they're the one that are attacking the greenkeepers. I think we're all a lot more appreciative now of the demands that there are in, um, in, in yeah. trying to uh, cre- create a consistent golf course in the climate that we've got. Yeah. I think we need a little more uh, education on that front, but we're getting there. Um, 
and and a more realistic understanding of what what goes into things. But uh, there's definitely been progress, and also just yeah, it never gets mentioned much in the technology debate and other elements. But the widespread improvement of course conditioning uh, overall is just stunning in the last 20 to 30 years. It's so rare when you go somewhere and it's really struggling or is just not very well uh, kept up. And, uh, you know, just that alone, we should be so much more grateful than that for, uh, for, for superintendents, greenkeepers, and also the the people who work for them. And, and uh, I think it's an important thing too, because the sport, there's some signs that it's, um, the added, uh, the, the, the increased improvement has brought a little more stress to the job and has made some people, even though the pays in, and the prestige has increased, it's also led to, uh, you know, some burnout issues and some superintendents not, um, you know, I just don't think people realize what goes on before 7 a.m. at a course. Uh, and, and there definitely would be some places that would benefit from, from not opening so early, both, both for the turf and also for the mental health of, of the people maintaining it. And, uh, and I just have a view that the game's just more enjoyable in the evening than it is when the, in the morning when everything's wet. But that's, that's a whole other topic. Uh, tw- twilight golf is, is particularly special. Yeah. I'm absolutely with you there. Uh, while, while I've got you, uh, let's talk about um, rollback and the, and the ongoing distance debate. I think one of the more entertaining aspects of um, being a media person at the Open Championship is watching Martin Slumbers fend off questions on distance <laughs> debate from you. But um, since since the Open, there's been a very uh, there's been a very profound statement um, from the PGA Tour, which is the, which is the organisation saying at the moment that they will not support the model local rule as it stands, which will obviously introduce a tournament ball. Essentially, I know it's a lot. I, I know the, the 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 actual ins and outs of it are more complex than that. But essentially, it's a tournament ball that would bifurcate the game between yeah. the top level and 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 the amateur golf. I I I I don't want to push my opinions onto you in any way, but I personally was slightly disappointed with that, and I and I worry that we're going to get. Um, a kind of British ball, American ball situation that we that we used to have in the 1980s, where the majors do one thing and the PGA Tour do another. Um, what's your feeling? Well, you're, you're, you've obviously got some very strident views on rollback. They're, they're very well published, and you you ask a lot of informed questions about about this debate. But where do you think we are with this at the moment? Because it feels like we're in a bit of an impasse. It does feel that way, but this is part of the comment period, and. Uh, I guess what's disappointing is that 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 while it's not an ideal solution, it, it was watered down or came to this moment and this way uh, as a politically feasible way of doing it. And then the tour kind of which who was involved in the process the entire way um, throws out this this viewpoint and then it's not clear exactly what it is they want you know, they, they're generally working at the behest of, uh, what the players want right now, which is frightening. Cause a lot of them, other than maybe Tiger and Rory and Adam Scott and a handful of people have really given this that much deep thought. And, uh, so I, I listen to the players who I, I sense really have given it some thought, but quite a few are just funneling talking points of the manufacturers. We'll never be happy with any solution. 
And I think that's what's most frustrating is, is the USJ and RNA offered the opportunity for them to do more innovation for the average golfer and they passed. So what we really have found is they just want to sell people what the pros play. And I guess the, where the struggle is right now, um, and I'm trying to, to get some information on this front, is uh, the equipment that is sold and used by the players and the benefits are just not there for the, for the average golfer at all. And so if everybody adopted, let's say, this model local rule ball tested under new tighter parameters, there's a very good chance that a a good 95% of golfers wouldn't even see a difference in distance. Uh, This ball is not going to spin more, which is what a lot of people would like to see. And uh, or if it does, the manufacturers are very clever. They'll they'll figure out a way to to cut down on that, and it'll still fly probably a little too straight for Tiger's, uh, um, in Tiger's view. But because uh, that is the one thing he's wanted to see, and so that's the where where, where we're kind of stuck is they've come up with a solution to dance around saying what they really just need to say, which is that these companies are selling you stuff that doesn't really. Uh, help you as much as it could. It helps these guys a lot. I mean, it really helps them, especially when they get together with a launch monitor and a good instructor and good fitters. And that's what they're doing. And uh, good for them. They're they're doing what's within the rules, but they're just saying, well, we need to tighten that up. And, um, you know, the I asked at the, the uh, press conference at the uh, open about the driver phase because several of the players have brought up the size of the driver, the driver itself, and they backed off that. And I really wish they would revisit that. But again, it's two different sets of equipment rules and how do you enforce it gets into all that. And I get why people get bogged down in that. Um, So I would love to see them take this moment from the tour who is saying they don't want bifurcation to go, okay, then why don't we just tighten up the testing parameters for the driver and the current ball and and uh, do it for everybody? And we're pretty confident it's not going to impact the everyday golfer at all. And they just haven't wanted to say that because they feel like that's rude to their the manufacturer's business, I guess. Um, so that's kind of the struggle we're in. Uh, and they keep repeating, we don't want to take anything away from the everyday uh, uh, golfer. And, well, you probably won't with these changes um, if these people actually got to play this ball. So that's where we're stuck. And I don't, I have no idea how it's going to, how this, this moment's going to kind of break. And, but, but they've been very clear. They are going to do something. So, um, and having been on the other side of, you you know, course design, or I was a little bit involved in talking to the USGA about the setup this year at LA country club, where, I worked on the restoration with Gil Hans. Yeah, it's just, it's just exhausting how much the distance thing makes the job difficult to to uh, create a good, fair. Fun, I hate the word fair, but it it's it it works and set up uh, to all golfers. Um, it just makes it very difficult, and and it it took away both at Hoy Lake and at at. Uh, at the U S open, it took away places where people could sit and watch the golf because we have new tees and things like it just goes on and on. It gets, it gets to be ridiculous and it just gets this whole sport 
off it gets its its um eyes off the the real prize which is fun and sustainability and and venues that where we can go play and relate to the pro game and all those little things that that are pretty special we're really we're just getting farther and farther apart from the pro game to the everyday game um so and i think that's an important thing i do love that relatability and i do love that we can sort of relate to them but it's that's pretty much gone now the game they play is so different and the equipment allows them to play a very different game it, it does amuse that's a long-winded no no, no but it, it was a good one but it does amuse me when um regular golfers talk about well we want to play the same equipment as the pros and i say to them well you're not you're not playing the same equipment as the pros i'm not hitting a seven or eight degree driver i don't have an x stiff shaft xx stiff shaft yeah. you know i mean ostensibly the 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 athleticism that they use the ball speed that they generate that just the distance that the the miles per hour that they get means that we are already playing two different games i think we just we just we just haven't admitted it to ourselves yet but but the wider point that i was wanting to get to with with you is this the distance debate rollback and golf golf course architecture are inexorably linked the two subjects can't be separated because of the demands increased hitting is on is giving to trying to get more land, the water resources, the sustainability that you talked about. You know, one needs to be sorted to help the other, doesn't it, Jeff? Well, and this is the connection that yeah, I was asked by a USGA executive committee member um, at the U.S. Open how they were doing, and I said, well, the the thing that really bothers me that that you you, know, you haven't done is talk about two elements in this and and one is very related to the club golfer and one a little less so although i yeah i just i don't know why it's a struggle i'll, I'll go with the less so one first which is the injury factor and um you know this pursuit of speed is just leading people to try and swing very hard and it leads to injuries and golf is uh i mean people want to laugh and whatever at the athleticism well it does require athleticism and and we we're seeing it but we're also asking people to push their bodies now uh the equipment allows it and it's not the equipment's fault that they got lighter and bigger and all that it just happened but um it is setting up a scenario where speed is this thing that's irrational and kids are having to be pushed and their college coaches here in the u.s want to know what their numbers are and not their scoring numbers their speed numbers and so you can point to a lot of players and see their bodies not being able to have handled the the modern golf swing. And it's not because they're not athletic or they didn't work hard. It's because, you know, there's a point where the, the body can only handle so much, even if the clubs are more forgiving now. Um, so that's one thing. And then, but, but the one that really drives me bonkers is the, the safety element. And even at the everyday golf course, while, people aren't hitting it as far as, as the guys on the, the men's tour are. And now some of the women, the, um, the number of issues that golf courses experience because of just some people hitting it longer, uh, and more offline when they do, uh, is, is incredible. And the costs involved with that, uh, you know, the number of courses we have in the U S with, hideous looking driving range fences and they keep adding extensions because people have to, nobody's made a great limited flight ball. Um, and so when this proposal came out uh, on the, on the model, model local rule, one of the, the first arguments that the manufacturers made, and they've kind of gone quiet on this now 
was, well, there's no business for this ball, so why should we make it? And that was mostly the players channeling that for them. And I said, well, wait a second. There's a lot of places that have driving ranges. If they could knock 10% off that ball for the long hitter, uh, it totally changes their their range safety situation and balls going on to the adjoining fairway, people getting hit. I mean, really serious issues. Uh, so there is a business for this ball as a range ball, if nothing else. But I think we also know there are a lot of good players out there who fancy themselves, you know, the same, same way you see people out on a bike ride dressed like uh, they're in the Tour de France. They envision themselves as a tour pro and they'll play whatever the pros are playing and they'll buy that ball. So I, I, I get the issues with the different game and handicapping and how do you adjust for that? <clears throat> I think those things can be addressed, but that they haven't really pointed out the safety component and the impact on the everyday golf course. Um, and then of course, all the costs with adding tees and the change in the, to get back to the, the, the dog walkability notion. Uh, I mean, it's such a simple thing, but, but even some tour pros recognize it. Tigers mentioned it, you know, the change in the way the, 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 the round of golf feels and the walk in the park element feels when you spend all this time walking to back tees, uh, for them is, uh, it changes the pace, the length of the round and, and the enjoyment of the round. I mean, there's just something really beautiful and simple about walking off a green to the next tee, right? not too far away. Obviously we don't want too close. We don't want anybody to get hurt, uh, by, uh, by shots, but there's just a beautiful simplicity in that. That's, that's just being kind of chipped away at with all this, uh, pursuit of distance. And the best courses almost uniformly do that as well. The ones that we love the most, um, the comment period's going on at the moment. It'll be really interesting. I think, yeah. Wrapping up. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what they what they come up with. I'm sure this this uh, debate won't be finishing anytime soon. No, and I I don't know how much. Yeah, I don't know how much they expected this from the tour. So I I'm not sure if that will lead to an extension. I I don't know. But yes, it's um it's far from certain what they're they're going to do at this point. My my hunch is the tour just wants to delay this uh, because they think their problems with uh, their business model have anything to do with the everyday game. And I, I think as hard as, as it is for a lot of golfers to believe it, but I do think this will have a positive impact on the everyday game, even though the, the rule change is directed at the, the elite player. I think there's an important trickle-down effect that uh, – and by the way, you still have to have a golf ball to play golf. Uh, and that's the ultimate I, – I get it with the drivers. You know, they're worried – whatever, it's an expensive piece of equipment. You have to have a golf ball to play golf. People lose balls. And the idea that suddenly uh, they would stop buying golf balls is kind of absurd. It was great chatting with you, Jeff. Golf Architecture for Normal People is available on Amazon. Um, you can get it in various formats from, from hardcover, obviously, to Kindle as well. Um, I've read it. It's a fantastic book. I really, if, if any of you club golfers out there have any interest in, in getting into golf architecture but want to do it in a way that's relatable and understandable I, I promise you this will be the book for you so go ahead and, and look it up and, and jeff just thanks for spending some time with us on the from the clubhouse podcast well thank you steve for all the kind words i really appreciate it <laughs>